the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 174 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us. You can follow us on Twitter or X, whichever one you'd like to call it. We are there. The Baseball 365 official podcast account is at Baseball365Pod. My name on there, or my account I should say, is at JustinHughes365, and Andrew is at AMCQ82. We are moving on to the outfielders now. It's time for the outfield um, preview, and on this episode, we're going to talk about, we I should say we talked about, Outfielders ranked between 1 and 28 on the NFBC rankings. This will be our only episode that we're putting out this week. And we're going to come back next week. And we should be punching out the rest of the outfielders on two different episodes. So enjoy this. And thanks for listening. Andrew, we are back and we are talking about the outfield position this year. You know, the the one where the position of the hitters where you're playing the most guys, you're putting five at minimum in your lineup. What's your ideal way of building this position this year? Oh, man, it's uh it's complicated cuz there's just so many spots. I definitely I see the argument for going early. I see the argument for waiting. Uh, I'm kind of in between. I personally like to have two or three guys that I feel good about, that I feel I'm going to use every week, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say three is like really where I'm comfortable. Um, and then I also know that like, as the season plays out, you're typically – in, in a lot of situations, you're going to be subbing your fourth and fifth um, just based on matchups. You know, maybe there's an injury, which, you know, obviously if you have injuries to your top guys, then that can complicate it further. But I don't mind waiting a little bit on my my last one or maybe two because I know there's a, there's a group of guys, too, that go in that range. Uh, when you draft like your fifth, sixth outfielder that I like. Um, and there's a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of, there's prospects, there's platoon guys, guys that, you know, are close to the bigs or just made the bigs, you know, all different kinds of guys there later, but there's plenty I like in that range, but I just, I don't want to wait and take all of them late. Cause I just, I, I've always felt this way. I feel like if you have a messy outfield, it can just turn into having a messy team. Like you don't want to make every week or every lineup period. You don't want to have to be deciding between all your outfielders. Yeah. You know, it just turns, it just turns into a total mess. So I would much rather have two to three, probably three for me where it's like, those guys are in every single week. I don't really ever think about them. And then the other one or two, I'm maybe switching in and out. You know, stuff like that. And hopefully you hit on a couple breakouts that maybe, you know, come into your lineup from your bench, stuff like that. Obviously, draft and hold, you're drafting more, 
fab league. Maybe you've just got one or two bench guys that qualify there, but stuff like that. So, yeah. How about you? What do you, what do you, where are you at on it? I definitely want to get one of those top 14, 15 guys. Like I want one guy that feels very steady. I usually only get one I because I want to fill other positions, but I want to have three guys. I Like you were saying two, maybe three, or most of the time three, but two, or whatever you just said there. You said two or three. Yeah, I want three. And the the two and three like aren't typically like outfielder number ones. But I do find myself taking a lot of guys in that like 25, like between 110 and about, well, let me see here, 110 to 200. I usually end up with about a couple more in that range to where, and I feel pretty solid about those guys. Guys, outfielders rank somewhere between like 25 and 40, 45, something like that. And then, yeah, look, the back two are a little more interchangeable. A lot of times, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that my outfield five is usually one of the last of the hitter positions I'm filling because I'm okay rotating guys around like you were saying there. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. Yep, I think we're lining up pretty well there. Um, so let's just go on and start then with Ronald Acuna. He surprisingly is pick number one overall. <laughs> Break real, um, real big surprise. Anyways, the last 30 days from when I pulled these notes in Draft Champions League, which was January 4th till February 4th, that would be 38 drafts. Acuna, minimum one, maximum one. So nobody has taken a like I know that that's happened at least in a in a draft and hold this offseason one of these NFBCs that he went to but anyways he's the clear number 1 and there's not much to talk about with him my question is when do you remember the last time the 1-1 pick was this big of an advantage to have never yeah i can't remember yeah yeah, it's never it's never been this big of an advantage since since I started playing fantasy baseball. Yeah, I like I was trying to think of like what the biggest ones before this were. Like Trout after his rookie year went thirty home runs and forty nine steals with three twenty six average, but um, Miggy Cabrera won the triple crown that offseason. Yeah, yeah. Or if not, if it wasn't that year, it was the next year. But Miggy was right there with him. And then I'm thinking of Bonds' seasons in the early two thousands. They were ridiculous, and I was playing right there like during his like I was playing one of my first years was during that 73 home run season but that was also in the steroid era where others were amazing I just I could I couldn't think yeah of the, the difference is is pretty uh pretty insane with what he did last season just just to give a quick little thing here I I kind of wanted to give an idea of exactly how valuable Acuna is and was last year so I plugged in, you know, last year into the auction calculator, 2023 year to date, spits out all the numbers. Um, the fourth and fifth outfielders were Julio Rodriguez and Kyle Tucker, combined value of $66.8. Oh, man. I know where you're going. So then, <laughs> so then I, so then I, and I specifically wanted to know because. A lot of times you hear people saying, oh, well, he's worth Acuna's worth two superstars and all that. So I was like, okay, what outfielder 
plus Acuna is equal to Julio and Tucker. Got any guesses? Um, Without looking, obviously. I'm going to guess it's somebody who, like, I'm just going to scroll down. You get, you I'm get, what, scroll I, you down get what I'm saying. Yeah. You get what I'm saying, though, right? Julio and Tucker, 2023 combined, and then Acuna and blank. From 2025. Starling Marte. 2023. Yeah, Starling Marte. Um, no, it was Lamont Wade Jr. Oh, ah, okay. So, and he's the 72nd outfielder <laughs> by dollars. I was in the ballpark. So, so yeah, Acuna and Lamont Wade Jr. combined for 66.9, and Julio and Tucker combined for 66.8. I mean, obviously, Acuna was 63.3 of that. That was, you know, he's obviously most of it, but. Yeah, that just kind of gives you the idea. I mean, it's I, – I, I feel like I've just not seen anything like it in fantasy baseball, really. I mean, clear 1-1, obviously not, not too much else to add. I mean, it's it's a huge edge. I, I do feel that. Like this season, if you don't want to pick first in your draft, you're kind of nuts to me. It's It's just a clear edge. And then – if you don't get one, then I think the debate starts like, okay, I'd rather pick here or there. It's fine to not want to pick two or three. You know, that's fine. But you just got to prefer, prioritize if you have the chance to, the number one pick. It's it's too valuable this season. Who were the other guys in debate for the number one overall pick last year? Do you remember? Uh, Julio probably I was one. I want to say... No, not Julio, I don't think. I think he went a little later. I want to say Trey. Wow. Um, I, I couldn't remember as I was sitting here thinking. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, Trey and maybe J-Ram? I don't think he was that high. Yeah, he was pretty high, I, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Might. Unless... Unless I'm thinking of the year before, yeah. but there was a year where it was like Trey, J Ram, Acuna, but I'm, I could be mixing up the year before, but yeah, I, I just think, think about the guys. Right. I, I think Acuna was the head, like the leading guy for number one last year also. But the reason I ask that is, could you imagine being one of the guys that actually took one of those others and you passed on Acuna? It would, it probably feel pretty sickening to watch what Acuna did last year and be like, man. Over yeah, and I, I definitely just just going off memory, I definitely think that there were some drafts that he didn't go. Yeah. Uh, he didn't go one. I'm actually pulling one up right now. If you give me two seconds, this is the Kings Court draft from last year. Oh, yeah, the fan tracks, and uh, he went four. Acuna went four. So it was Judge, mm-hmm. J Ram, and Trey. So yeah, Judge. I mean. OBP, so yeah, Man. and yeah, off off memory, off memory. I want to say in most of mine, he Acuna was going like three or four. Man. Some he went one though, obviously. Man, okay, yep. Well, that's wild season. Acuna's a stud. He's the clear one one, and then there are a bunch of other first round outfielders. And I'm just gonna spit these guys all out at once here. Uh, we're not going to be breaking these guys down heavy because we've talked about, we talk about them plenty. They're all studs, but here we go. We got Julio Rodriguez. He's at two overall men two max five in this last month. 
We got Corbin Carroll, four overall, men two, max eight. Mookie Betts, who's got second base eligibility. We did talk about him on the second base pod. Men two, max seven. Uh, Kyle Tucker with a six ADP. He went third. That's his men, and his max is 10. Fernando Tatis, he's at eight overall. He's got a three as a men, and a max is an 11. Juan Soto with the Yankees has got a men six. I actually thought that would be earlier than that when I when I saw this and max of 15 and then Aaron Judge is the final outfielder 11 ADP pretty much right at 12 men 8 max 18 we know these guys are all studs they're in the first round for a reason how would you rank all those outfielders on your own list uh I would go I would definitely go Julio 2 and then I would go Betts. Uh, I really value Betts's floor, like his combination of floor and ceiling, really. And I and I like, I think second base. As I've gone through this to this point, I think second base is my least favorite infield position. Um, just in terms of depth and guys that I like later. So I really value the second base outfield flex. Obviously, Mookie's great. Um, So I like starting a draft with him a lot and having not only that flexibility, but just him. You know, like obviously he's a stud. Um, After that, it's it's a little tricky. Uh, I'm slightly down on Carroll from where everybody else is. I, I still love him, obviously. I just think that. I think that there's a world where Carroll hits like 16 to 20 homers. And when you're this high in the draft, you just have to split hairs. Um, 34 barrels last year. And I mean, not like really great batted ball data across the board. I mean, like I said, he's a stud and I would, I would take him in this group, like Carroll Tucker Tatis are all pretty close to me. But I could argue Tucker and Tatis over Carroll, too. So I think that those guys are close. I think Soto's right there, too. Um, Any order, really, with those four, I don't have a huge problem with. And then I'd have Judge last. But I still think Judge is great, too. Yeah, obviously, they're all all studs. I I think the main thing with this group is I would just – I'm probably not going to have any redraft shares of Carroll. I just – I don't think it's going to be – there's going to be a draft where I happen to be picking in the right slot and the exact guys go in the right order. It, it would take something like that. Um, he's probably the one I'm kind of dancing around taking here, but you know, if he, if he's stealing 50 plus bases and you know, good batting average and all that, he'll be fine. I just, just a little sketchy on the power to me. Like, I just wonder what his home run total is. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to go up from 25 just because he's young. He hit 25 last year. If he hits 20-plus, it's probably fine. But, again, it's it's light for this high in the draft, you know. So let's say you're picking in that four hole and the first three went Acuna, Julio, Witt. Or you're in the five hole and Mookie went four. And you're sitting there in the five hole and Carroll, Tucker, and the, then the aces are there. Have you, you? I don't think you've been put in that spot yet. This no, time. I haven't been in that spot. I'm not sure what I would do. Yeah. Okay. Well, mine. I'll 
I think Str- I also think Strider's fine to take yeah, basically that, that's anything. why I said the aces in there. Yeah, I think he's fine to take pretty much anywhere. It's with that it's just more like what your strategy is for the upcoming rounds and stuff. I got Carroll third on that group. I'd go Julio, Mookie and then Carroll. I and then Kyle Tucker, Tatis, Soto and Judge is last for me and like I like all these guys to be honest, except for Judge. I'm I'm that's one that that's the one I'm least likely to take. I know the up what the upside is, but I just have a history with not being a fan of investing in big bodied guys early. And sometimes that turn that Judge goes and has the sixty home run season. Giancarlo Stanton also had it. Then it seems like all the other years, like they very like it seems like more often than not, it's 110, 120 games instead of 150. And I don't know. It's just not for me. I, I'm not saying it's a bad investment because you're still getting a replacement late player while he's hurt. It's just not for me. Yeah. The one thing to think about when you when you take a guy like. Well, out of this group, it would be judged specifically, but it's just a team like team building. Um, I kind of like to go through the draft and be fairly balanced as much as I can. And most of these guys are giving you every stat, you know, and judge is obviously more power, not really helping you in steals. So it's like, it's fine. Obviously you can construct a team that way and there's steals to be had later and all that. But, you know, then in the next round, if you're taking a pitcher and let's say you want to take a closer high, like you still got to get your speed somewhere and you don't want to feel like you're chasing it. So I just would, you know, it's fine to take judge here. I, I honestly think it's, it's appropriate and wouldn't be surprised if he was the number one player, honestly, no, not at all. but, but at the same time, just, just kind of have a plan for knowing where you want to get your speed. It, it's very easy in rounds two and three to build off of taking one of the guys like, Julio Tucker Tatis they're just so balanced across the board Mm -hmm. and they just do absolutely everything so just things to keep in mind from team building perspective really okay so we'll move into the second round and actually the the only guy there's only one outfielder after all those outfielders in the first round there's only one with an ADP in the second round and that shocked me I mean I, I I knew that the outfield dried up but I didn't realize there was only one with an ADP in there and that would be Jordan Alvarez at 17 overall. Like, let's say you took one of these outfielders in the late first. Would you be willing to draft Jordan in the like top of the second and go back-to-back outfielders? Or if you went on a Harper, Jose Ramirez, or one of the, the aces there, is Jordan an option for you? Uh, I, I don't mind him here necessarily, but I'm typically when I'm like that close to the wheel, I mean, he's at 17. I'm, I'm usually thinking, thinking of it in pairs Mm -hmm. and I'm pro I'm probably not going outfield outfield necessarily. Um, but it it depends a little how the board falls again with Jordan. It's very similar to judge. It's, it's really like almost identical. I mean, it's. A ton of power, a ton of walks, you know, going to get on base a lot, going to help or at least not hurt in batting average, um, elite lineup, could hit 60 home runs, you know, like that. all those things are there. I mean, with Jordan, the main question, like with Judge, is just how many games you're going to get. Um, I think it's 
probably just as many questions, if not more, with Jordan as it is with Judge. But, but yeah, they're they're very similar guys. I mean, I'm not taking both of them, you know, or because um, I'm trying to get out of there with speed or an ace or something like that, you know. But um, I don't mind Jordan overall. I'm, I probably won't have a ton of him in redraft, but um, I think I I think I've grabbed him once and I. I've got a dynasty share, so. But yeah, he's Jordan's one of my favorite players. Like to just, gosh, when he makes contact and hits those moon shots, it is just, (laughs) it's so fun to watch. Like, oh man, it is unreal. Yep, he's a special hitter. He's special power, special hitter. He's a lot of fun to watch play. But yeah, he's not for me either. It's incredible still to me that there's only one outfielder in the second round Jordan Alvarez <laughs> at 17 overall and the next you, ADP is not till 32 you were wondering why in that draft you didn't have um when you took wit yep. and none of the outfielders came back you were like I know you were talking about that and I guess that looking at this it kind of makes sense yep uh, that's why I'm against taking wit in the first round early it's the biggest reason is I just don't like getting too far behind on these outfielders because then I feel like I'm reaching to get one and yeah, not for me. <clears throat> All right. So the next two outfielders with an ADP in the third round, there's only two of them. So after one in the second, there's only two in the third. So again, for those keeping score, we have nine in the first round and we have three in the next 30. <laughs> That'd be Michael Harris at 32 overall and Luis Robert at 33 overall. So him or him. Michael Harris, Luis Robert, which one you taking? Which one would you take first, I should say? Uh, I would take Michael Harris first. Okay, I'm with you on that. I would take Michael Harris. Um, I'll, I'll go first, since you always are yeah. the ones talking. I love Harris. Dude had a hurt knee at the start of last year, and he struggled. But he got hot in the month of June and didn't look back. I personally think Harris is capable of going 25-25 in the right season. Maybe it's only 2020 this year, but I believe that comes with a good batting average. The biggest question on him are the runs in RBI, and that depends on where he's hitting in the lineup. Kind of like we talked about with Albies, he's at risk of hitting at the bottom of that on that team, and that hurts the at-bats, runs in RBI chances. Um, if this guy can get in the 5-6 and six hole, he'll get those. He could even work his way into the top of the lineup, possibly, with an injury to Albies or... If just he's producing and Albies isn't, it's happened before where um, Ozzy's OBP wasn't high enough and he was moved down. I think that's when we saw Harris in the two hole. I think two years ago, maybe yeah, I think that was two years ago. But I like him more than Robert. I, you know, I just struggle to trust Robert to this to this extent. Switching this over to him, his 2023 was awesome. I mean, 38 homers, 20 steals, 90 runs, 80 RBI. And that's while he was on a dumpster fire of a team. And that team is still a dumpster fire. And I wonder if that will get to him this year. You know, last year, I think that major league team still had hope going into the year. And that's not the case this year. And does that affect him? I don't know. But, you know, between that, he's missed a lot of time in the previous two seasons, staying healthy in 2023 was a good thing but i think i need to see him play another 140 plus games this next year before i can start considering him this soon personally yeah i i think the main difference with with harris and 
Robert is well, Harris is is much younger. Not that Robert's old, but he's younger, and I trust him more to stay healthy. Probably just because he has stayed healthy, really, um, so far. But the batting average too. I mean, yep. I think maybe the most un like underrated part of Harris is his batting average, yeah. two ninety five. Uh, so far in his career, and he is not even 23 yet. So, yeah, about about a season and a half, if you're talking like full season. Um, but, yeah, cut his K rate from 24.3% to 18.7% last year. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think that the negatives with him will just end up being – are likely to be runs in RBI, uh, two-thirds of his – or not two-thirds, 60% of his plate appearances since he came up in 2022 have come from the nine-hole. I think there's a, a pretty good chance he's hitting near the bottom of the order. but Which is wild. It's, it, the, it's, that is wild yeah. <laughs> that yeah. this team and their embarrassment of riches, that they could have him hit ninth. I mean, he could get up there with an injury. I mean – even all that said, though, he's not hes not like a great OBP guy. So on a, a lineup that's that loaded, I think it might even take multiple injuries for him to get to the top of the lineup. But I don't think it matters that much. I don't want to, like, overstate it. I'm just, I'm just pointing out, like, a few little things. You know, it's he's definitely a stud. He's super athletic, like premier athlete in center field that is providing so much value that way. I mean, the main negatives are – he doesn't walk a ton, and he's probably not going to like drive in or score tons of runs. But for any of the guys that hit eight or nine in all of baseball, he's probably going to lead in those categories. You know, like nobody else is that productive from that slot. And every time, except the first time through the order, he's going to have Acuna hitting behind him. So, yeah, Harris is definitely a stud. Robert, I feel like it's kind of a like with Robert, it almost just feels popular to not like him, I guess. I mean, is that really a trend? I don't know. I, I feel like there's groups where it's like certain people love him and certain people just can't stand him. But I mean, he was he was the number nine outfielder last year. And I don't know, like you said, it's bad team, but I don't really I don't see it like going completely sideways either. I think it's probably about the right spot. I mean, like it's okay to say, I don't love Luis Robert, but like, how many guys to go and below him? Would you take ahead of him? for me? It's not many personally. Agreed. Um, I mean, it, and it could be, you know, a couple or something like that, but I just, I don't feel like it's that many. So yeah, I think it's probably pretty appropriate for both. I haven't, I don't think I've drafted either one in a redraft, but it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that I wouldn't. Um, but yeah, just just some of my thoughts there. Yeah, me not wanting Robert doesn't mean I'm going to push him down on this list. I, I hardly at all. I might take a couple guys, the next two ADP guys above him, but it's more at that position. I'm probably just looking at a different position. Again, why I want to get those outfielders in the first round because not many of them. I, I, I don't really care for any like I mean, any of the guys in the second and third round except for Harris. And, yeah, that's not 
I'd just rather have one in the first round for that reason. Okay, uh, let's move on here and go into 12 through 14. When I say that, I mean outfielders ranked 12 through 14, and that would be Randy Rosarena with Tampa Bay at 47 overall, Adolis Garcia at 48, and Nolan, I almost said Nolan Gorman. That is not the case. Nolan Jones with Colorado at 59. So I wanted to ask you about Rosarena versus Adolis Garcia, but before you answer that, to think the Cardinals had both of these guys at one point, that is sure. a tr- <laughs> Right as you say, Nolan Gorman, too. Yeah, yeah. It could have just been all three Cardinals right there. So, yeah, I'll let you go first on this one. Which Rosarena versus Garcia, who are you taking? Uh, I would take Rosarena. Um, yeah, I've actually drafted Rosarena in my last two drafts. I like him quite a bit. Uh I I feel like a Rosarena is kind of like what I was saying with the guys at the top. He just does everything. Mm-hmm. Like it gives you just a blend across the board where you can build beyond that so easily because you you're just getting essentially every category. Um, yeah, really good power and speed. Career high twelve percent walk rate this past year. Lowest ground ball rate of his career. And he just kind of like fits any build, you know, it's, I don't really like when I'm in that third round, like early fourth and he's there, I'm generally looking at him. Like he may go before I pick, but there's not too many starts I could have to my draft where I'd be like, no, I'm, I don't want to take a Rosarena now. Like he kind of just fits no matter what you do. I yeah. feel like so. Yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely like him. I took Adolis on my notes, but I said it, it's really close. I I like these both of these guys here, and I think I would take either one over Luis Robert. But um, Adolis is in a lineup that's already dangerous last year, and they got more bats. Like they, Evan Carter came in at the end of the year, and then they're going to have White Langford up there real soon. And that's just going to make that 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 lineup should be. I it's hard to say better because they were so insanely good last year, but. That just improves their chances of continuing to be good, and you know he had a Adolis had a career best performance in the data, sixteen percent barrel rates, incredible ground ball rate, a very small thirty six percent, insanely high barrel total and percentage, and his walk rate by far the best of his career. So, I just I I really like what Adolis did, but Adol uh, Rosarain is really good. It's uh, what all I said about him in my notes is solid production all across the board, which kind of goes with what you're saying. Yeah. I think Adolis has more, he's likely to hit more home runs. Yep. And man, so weird to go from 25 steals to nine. Yeah. That uh, can't help but wonder about that. If it's yeah. a, which they had. I mean, he's thirty. Last you know, he's, didn't they? He's, he's thirty and wonder a little bit, but I, I maybe that bounces back a little bit. Um, and then I probably give a Rosarena an edge in batting average, but yep. Yeah, one thing I'll say with with Adolis is if you have him in Dynasty, <laughs> and you can't. I was thinking about this today when I was kind of going through these guys. If you can't win the league, like now, I would trade him. Yes. I would trade Adolis Garcia. 
And it's mostly to say, I, oh, I should have mentioned too, career high um, 10% walk rate, mm-hmm. which he hasn't been his whole career. So that's obviously nice. But I, I don't know if this is the guy that if you're a rebuilding team in a dynasty league that you want to be sitting on when he's like 32, you know, when, I mean, who knows what he is in two to three years. I, I don't know. I'm not, he could be the same player, but we've also seen guys with skill sets like this. You start seeing warts pop up a little bit as they get a little older and he's got swing and miss in his game. He hasn't ever been a big walker until, like I said, this past year, but the steals have dipped. Like I would just be a little like, and I still think you could get a ton for him. Like if you traded him now, you could get a ton and you should get a ton. But um, that's just something I would be thinking about if I wasn't like in the thick of it or if I didn't think I had a realistic chance to win, I would, I'd be moving him. Yeah. I got an offer for him in a dynasty league this off season for one of my good hitters. I'm not like it, it was Albies straight up and I, yeah, I was pretty quick to hit decline on that just because, like, I could I could use, like, that league I've got a couple second basemen, and I really could use trading Ozzy or one of my second basemen for an outfielder. But, yeah, it's it feels like a trick to trade for Adolis in a dynasty league. Yeah, Unless, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily opposed to it if you're, like, win now. Yes. But um, I think you have to make a realistic evaluation there and – kind of make a decision because yeah i could just see it being different in a couple years and maybe it won't be but i feel it enough that i'd at least be thinking about it so we talked about nolan jones on the steamer projection episode we both took the over on his home run projection on steamer at 23 he's another name that i'm hearing differing opinions on what like where are you at on him now as we've it's been a couple months since we talked about him as he's going out here at this four or five turn yeah, it's this guy is really. I could just see it going so many ways. I feel like I I would I wouldn't be that shocked if he just took off and went like thirty twenty in cores with obviously you're you're probably going to have a pretty good batting average and I don't think he's going to like not play you know like he's got a secure role now. OBP guy. I mean, you could really see how this just takes off into a late first, early second round pick. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, But he strikes out a lot. And it's a little limited in terms of like what he did. I mean, he's always been a good prospect, but it still was a surprise to see him go 2020 in 106 games. I mean, that's. It's really impressive, you know. So I'm I'm kind of in between. I, I took him in one draft. I, I want to say it was right about here. I think it was late round four. Um, but it, it's one where I probably won't have a ton of exposure to him, but I don't mind having a little bit. Um, yeah, it feels it feels a little like out there where I'm not. I'm not positive if I'm going to get like this huge season or I could see it being disappointing too. But in cores, I I also just wonder like how, what is a bad season for him even look like? I mean, it's not, I don't think he's losing playing time, you know, really. I mean, 
God, how bad would he have to be on that team coming off that season? And and keep in mind, he just he's always walked. Like he's he's always had huge walk rates in the minors. So I don't really see that. Um, yeah, I just wonder. Like the floor is probably higher than we think, really. So that's what yeah, I was kinda... going to ask you. You mentioned he could be a first, second rounder, and I'm like, well, you're saying it could go a lot of different directions. What's the bad look like? Yeah, I think the bad is probably just some regression from last year. Like, like maybe it's around what he did, you know, call it 2020 or close, but in a full season, like 150 games. And then, you know, maybe you're a little disappointed in that. But I still don't think it's too bad of a price where it's at. So I don't mind him overall. Like when he goes, I'm, I'm generally okay with it. Four, 401 Babbitt, by the way, and a 248 expected batting average. So the 297, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if that's coming back. Yeah, I, I would definitely under that by quite a bit. I would probably be starting, like thinking, hoping for 270 if things go right. Is the yeah. way I'd probably look at it. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on him. I take, I've got one share. I've took him in the fourth round in one league a couple months ago for seventh pick of the fourth round. So it was a little earlier, earlier than that spot. I guess that would have been like 53 overall. That was an, a league where I did not get in. Like I did not get a outfielder in the first two rounds. I went pitcher pitcher. So then I came back and fired back with Harris and then um, Jones in that league. And yeah, we'll just see how that one goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, let's see. Next up is Cody Bellinger at 62 overall, and we discussed him on the first base pod. Still a free agent. Where's this yeah. I mean, I didn't even put anything for him in the notes because we've already talked about him. But like, update are, are the is is he pretty? Have the Cubs pretty much moved on? I I don't know. I keep thinking. I keep waiting for the day that I wake up and look and see that they've done something crazy, but. Hasn't happened yet. I keep saying it. There's one team with a lack of self-awareness that could go sign him, and that would be the <laughs> Anaheim, the Los Angeles Angels. So yeah. I continue hoping for that disaster to come together. <laughs> uh, moving on, we got I got four more outfielders here that are bunched together, uh, eight picks apart between Jazz Chisholm at 75 overall, Mike Trout at 76. Josh Lowe at 79, and Christian Yelich at 82. First off, Andrew, have you gotten used to seeing Trout like at, with a, like a 76 ADP in a group like this? Because I'm still trying to get used to just reading that. No, not really. It's it's still weird. It's it's still weird for sure. I mean, when Acuna kind of became the number, when he took that spot as the number one guy a few years ago, it was Trout who he took it from, and Trout had held it for almost, I mean, eight to ten years, almost every year. There was the yeah. who's going to pop up and challenge Trout for the number one spot, and yeah, here we are. Yeah, it's it's uh, it wasn't that weird seeing Trout go like ten, twelve, eighteen, you know, but um, yeah, this is definitely a different. It's crazy. So well, I'm going to start off. I just figured we'd talk, just kind of talk about each of these guys individually. You know, Jazz, he's another one of those amazing per-game players. If he had a year of health, he could be a top 30, maybe even a first-round player, um, like kind of like Luis Robert 
just blew up this last year. I mean, he's had 19 homers and 22 steals in 97 games played this last year. And I went and looked at a steamer 600, just wondering what that looked like. And it was a 246 average with 27 homers and 27 steals with 77 runs and 83 RBI. And yeah, that sounds like a second round player right there to me. Just kind of what, like, where are you at with Jazz? Uh, I'm most I'm mostly okay with it. Um, you know, I I think you really have to make decisions like before you get into a draft, like how you're wanting to build a team and things like that. You know, there's it's funny too with like Jazz and Trout being right next to each other because they're just so different. <laughs> yes, I mean, and like with Jazz, there might not be a guy outside of the top 10 overall that has more home run stolen base juice than him. You know, maybe like Ellie O'Neill Cruz, Luis Robert and jazz, like probably those guys they are off the top of my head. Um, so you can kind of see where jazz plays a full season. He can have huge, home run stolen base, he could probably go 30-40 or 30-30, whatever. Uh, but the the big things with him are the health. So when I say plays a full season, I mean, that's uh, – he hasn't even been close to that lately. Um, he's averaged 93 games a year the last three seasons, essentially his whole time in the, in the bigs. Um, and you're – if you want to build – like – you kind of also with batting average, depending on there's people that like to build with batting average early jazz is going to probably hurt you there. So, you know, those are just all things to keep in mind. It's like you, you kind of know that you're getting most likely a low batting average, 248, 254, 250 in the last three years. Um, runs in RBI will be, they'll be fine. I mean, Marlins aren't a great lineup, but he should hit near the top of it. Um, and then the home runs and steals should be strong per game, but the games are a question. So I, I don't really mind him because I know that per game, his output can just be so elite, but you also have to kind of know how to build around him too. So here's a philosophical um, question, general thoughts on him in terms of a uh, draft cha- like one of these draft champions leagues that's a draft and hold or like when if you're playing in an NFBC main event where you have ads and drops these injury prone players the guys who have more health risk are you more like less likely to take them in one of the formats over the other uh that's actually a really good question i I think it's riskier. I, I'm not personally changing it too much. Like with, with Jazz specifically or, or like with Trout specifically. I'm not taking them much higher or lower okay. in, a, in a main versus like a DC. But I do think that in a main or a league where there's ads and drops, it's you could argue it's a little riskier. Because in a draft and hold, you just you have all your players for the yep. whole season, and you you're su- subbing guys in and out anyways, and 
and all of that. So it's fine to have guys that are playing partial years and as long as you don't have too many of them. But in, you know, NFBC's no IL, I mean, you have this guy that hits the IL, you kind of have to make really tough – you get to a point where you have to make really tough decisions. Like sometimes you have to cut really good players. And, um, yeah, it's something to be aware of. I, I do think there's a little more risk to it. Would I change my whole draft strategy on it? Probably not. But, um, yeah, it can it can be tough and frustrating for sure. I think I'd feel most comfortable taking those type of guys – in a in a league that has weekly fab but also has IL and then you can at least there's usually somebody out there you can pick up and you're not having yeah. to actually throw them out but yeah i i mean jazz trout they in for me they're kind of in the same boat with the judge and jordan in terms of i just with outfield being like it I don't know. I'd just rather not have guys missing a good chunk of the year if I if I can, and I'm usually staying away from these guys. I Jazz, I mean, both of these guys have incredible upside. I guess we could transition over into Trout. You know, just, I, get, I mean, I have the same thoughts with him. He's still incredible, but it's just he is – it's hard for him to stay. I mean, he has not stayed on the field. I think it was since 2018, 2019. I got it somewhere here written down. Uh, I've got his last, yeah, I've got his last six full seasons games played. If you want me to read them off. Yeah. Why don't you do that real quick? So since 2017 on not counting 2020 shortened season, trout games played 114, 140, 134, 36, 119 and 82. So 140 being the high mark and, you know, a couple 114, 119 in there, a couple less than that. So, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, even when he's healthy, is he hasn't been the same guy on the field that he was five years ago. I was looking, trying to dig in a little bit, see if I could find out what's different. And his zone contact rate was in the mid to high 80s up till about three years ago. And the last three seasons, it's been more in the 70s, 79 and 21, 20, 75% in the last two seasons. He isn't chasing any more than he used to, but he's just swinging and missing more on fastballs and sliders nowadays than it, you know, it, it feels like he is more of a 260, 270 hitter who would get 35 to 40 homers if he managed to play a pull, pull yeah, play a full season. And, you know, I do think this is the right spot for him in ADP. I look at the the outfielders above him and feel that, that they belong above him. But when I look at the guys below him in the outfielders, I think I'd rather have Trout. But, I again, I think this is one of those deals where I just look at another position at this point just because of the the injury risk with him. So that's yeah, my thing. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there's two main issues with Trout, and it's the health and the complete and utter like lack of steals and no desire to run anymore. Yeah, that's you know, it's, it's I mean, he's got five steals in the last three years total. Um and I think I mean you could also you could also bring up that Otani's gone. The lineup could be a complete dumpster fire yep. besides him. Um 
which, you know, only probably factors into him a little bit, but maybe he's pitched around more than ever now. Who knows? I mean, you mean um, hitting around Luis Rangifo and Brandon Drury is not having Otani right there yeah, is, is right. not a good thing. Drury's probably hitting behind him. Yeah, it's and Anthony Rendon's <laughs> after him, by the way. Um. So yeah, I think like perfect world trout, you're you're still probably getting a lot of power and like a palatable batting average. Where I I would think he could still help in batting average, but. Yeah, it's just it's just different, you know. It's just very different, and also keeping in mind that outfield is generally a spot where you're getting some speed from, you know. Like when we were talking about middle infield, and not that you have to get it from all of them. I mean, power is more important than anything. But I mean, when you combine the health and you combine that, it's just it's just a lot, you know. I do think it's close to the right spot. I do. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I also I also get why he's going here now. You know, it's just it's just it's not the Mike Trout that we've always known. So, what about Josh Lowe and Yelich? What about those two? You want to touch on them first? Uh, yeah. Uh, with well, between the two, I would. That's not what you were asking, right? No, like just kind of or... give your thoughts on the guys. So, with Josh Lowe. I I had him last year in my main. I think I took him in round 23, 24. And he was a huge, huge reason why I won. Like, huge. Um, loved having him. Used him basically every week. And the whole time, as I was following him, you know, because I'm checking that I was checking that lineup more than I was checking anything and complaining um, about it all the time. <laughs> I <know laughs> yeah. Where this is going. Freaking out, freaking out about everything. But Josh Lowe, as good as he was, he sits against all lefties pretty much. Um, and I just wonder what it looks like if he's not super elite against righties. Um, Steamer has him projected as the 36th best outfielder. Bad X has him projected as the 45th best outfielder. And he's going 18th. I There's just some things where, like against lefties, like I said, 534 OPS, 51 WRC plus. That's that's essentially out. And it maybe it's a good thing. You know, maybe you could argue if he played against lefties, yeah, he'd have more volume, but his batting average would just be terrible because mm-hmm. or it would drag him down, you know, stuff like that. Against righties, he's been good. That was the career numbers, but against righties, 827 OPS, 131 WRC plus. Those are both career. So you know, the, the projections are all like 16 to 18 homers, 22 to 25 steals, 240 to 260 average, which I think is fine and close to about right. But the problem with that is that's not the 18th best outfielder. So, yeah, all that to say, I, I feel like last season was about as good as it can possibly get for Josh Lowe. I just don't. I don't think there's like another level because it's hard to get higher than this when you're a platoon player and he is a platoon player. So it's just, it's hard for me to imagine him 
him getting higher than this personally. That's what do you think? That's something I used to complain about with every Tampa Bay hitter. It seemed like they wanted to platoon them all. And that you know, there have been a few that have gotten away with, from that. They've they've had some good right-handed hitters who you know get a play against both sides. But this is something I used to complain about with just about every lefty on that squad because they don't have many lefties over the last ten years that they have played every day, even against lefties. And yeah, Josh Lowe's the next one on the list, and he's not doing anything when he is getting at bats to prove them wrong. So, yeah, my thought is I would like I would much rather have Josh Lowe in a daily league. If you could play in a daily yes. league, that'd be that'd make it a lot more fun because you could plug him in there and he could be dominant against lefties or against righties and then just put put some average player in there on the days the lefties starting and yeah, you've got a pretty good slot out of that. But yeah. um yeah, in a weekly league, you're going to struggle to get counting stats just for missing a couple days a week. So, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not as high on him. Um, I remember real quick. I remember one weekend last year. Well, pretty much every weekend, you know, because NFBC it's Monday through Thursday, Friday through Sunday. I mean, I remember a couple different weekends looking at it and seeing like two out of three lefties for him, and it's like, what do you do? Like the guy's so good when he plays, but I knew he wouldn't play. There was one week I was forced to play him, and I knew he was only going to start one game, and he homered. <laughs> it was just like, oh my gosh! Like he was, he was really good against righties. I don't want to understate it, but yeah, it's just lefties out there. He's not playing, and you just got it's tougher. Like in a weekly, like say you got to set your lineup for the whole week, and they've got three or four lefties that week. I mean, it's like he's so good. Do I play him? I mean, what's my replacements? Obviously, that factors in. But yeah, I just think this is. Kind of the peak, Josh Lowe. You know, I, I just, I'd be, I'd be really surprised if he had an even better season this year. I'd be really surprised. Yeah, me too. Uh, finishing up, we got Christian Yelich in this group, and he's the one of the four that I like. You know, I just a solid player. New rules had had him running more this last year. I'd take him over Trout or Jazz um, or Lowe personally, and Bellinger above him. You know, one funny stat, 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 yeah, one funny statistic I saw on him, his batting average versus expected batting average for the last three seasons. Uh, 2021, his batting average was 248. His expected batting average was 247. In 2022, his batting average was 254 or 252. His expected batting average was 254. In 2023, his batting average was 278. Expected batting average 277. So. <laughs> Yeah, and the money. In other words, his batting average matches what the underlying performance says it's supposed to be the last few years. But Yelich is, you know, after having a, you know, the back injuries and he was striking out like at a pretty alarming rate there for a few years. He kind of seems to have leveled off and become kind of consistent the last couple of years. I mean, we're at two straight years of 140 plus games and. Yeah, he's not the player that's going to go out there and hit 30 home runs anymore. That That's not him. It, honestly, he feels like he's a lot more like he was that what we thought he was going to be early on in his career. Whenever with Miami, he seemed like he was going to be a 15-20 yeah. home run guy who would chip in some stolen bases, which he's running more now with these new rules, just be a solid across the board. And Yeah, I, I like him for as a safety net pick here. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind it. Uh 
I the main thing I question with him is just is just the power, like how much how many mm-hmm. home runs you're going to get. But you know, he has rebounded from nine in 117 games in 2021, 14 in 154 games 2022, and then 19 last year. So that's a lot better. Batted ball data is pretty strong. Can help in all five categories. So I just I wouldn't expect more than like high teens homers. Yeah. Um, as long as you're building around that, yeah, I think it's fine because I I think he's likely to help in average and help in steals and get a lot of counting stats because he gets on base. So yeah, yeah, I don't I don't have any problem with Yelich. Okay, we'll move on to the next two, and that would be Brian Reynolds at 92 overall. He's the 20th outfielder off the board, and Kyle Schwarber at 94. Um, both of these guys, to me, feel like they have pretty like they're projectable. They have pretty safe projections. Reynolds with a 260-ish batting average with 25 home runs and a steal total around 10, maybe. And Schwarber, he's going to be somewhere in the Mendoza rain, uh, line range, maybe a little over with gobs of home runs, runs, and RBI. Uh, him or him, like, which one, like, is there one of these guys you'd rather have over the other, or is it more just kind of a team construction for how you're at up to this point? Uh, I would I would rather have Reynolds. And it's mostly it's mostly due to just the balance. And again, I, go, I, I kind of was mentioning this earlier, but I like to have guys that, give me more options down the road and with Schwarber I think Schwarber's really good for what he does like he's this classic power and walks um you know he gets on base a ton it's like a specific build though and like if you are taking Schwarber here I feel like you're kind of saying oh I'm light in power I better take Schwarber well, that's okay if you get Schwarber, <laughs> but if you don't, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Estuary Ruiz thing, you know, which he's even further down. We'll get to him. But like, if you don't get that guy, then what's your plan after that? Because Schwarber is an elite power hitter, obviously, and will help you a ton in runs, RBI and home runs. Uh, he's not going to give you any stolen bases and he's not going to give you batting average. So you're essentially paying for three categories. Now, the other argument is, well, why would I take Pete Alonzo or Matt Olson in round three when I could take Kyle Schwarber in round seven? And I think that's legit, too, because he could hit just as many home runs as those guys can. I mean, let's be honest. So I don't dislike Schwarber as much as I just don't like building like that. With Reynolds, I love him. He's maybe my favorite guy at ADP. We've t- we'll talk about tonight. And it, it mostly just goes back to this guy, it's like a Rosarena. He's ideal for every build. He gives you batting average. He gives you power. He chips in steals. He plays every single day. He hits high in the order. Like Anybody who doesn't like him, I feel like they're trying to create a narrative of like, oh, he's on the Pirates or, oh, he's Brian Reynolds. He's not going to hit like 40 home runs or steal 30 bases or whatever. But this guy the last three years – 28th best hitter in 2021, 60th best hitter in 2022, 51st best hitter in 2023. Top 60 hitter all three years, and his ADP 
is 92. I want, I think it was when I looked like the 53rd hitter in the last month. So I just think it's a spot where you're taking the guy, you know what you're getting and it's just a easy pick productive. You know, I would expect 20 to 25 homers, eight to 12 steals, everyday playing time, good batting average. He just, he just doesn't hurt you, you know? So no one's yeah, going to go, oh, wow, when you draft Brian right, Reynolds. But right, but those, you know as well as I do, you know as well as I do, those are the usually the good picks. Yep. And I, I remember kind of, there was a point last season where I started really digging into him, and I was like, because I knew in my own head I was kind of underrating him, so I was trying to figure out why, and the more I dug, I'm just like, yeah, this is just a rock-solid pick where he goes. Like, you're not... You're not going to, you don't want to lose your league on these early picks. And I definitely have guys that I take that are riskier and I play that game too, but he's just such a stabilizer for me. I, I haven't actually gotten quite as much of him as I had hoped to this point, but I'll definitely be getting more. So yeah, I like him. Yeah. I haven't drafted him yet. I'd be happy to though. And then, yeah, I would take him over Schwarber and it's again, like the team build thing. If you draft Schwarber, you're probably light on power, and he's one of those things that if he's one of those players that if you if you draft him, you're gonna need to take a Yandy Diaz, Luis Arias type that's going to balance it, try to balance it out, or some somewhere you're gonna need to take an extreme batting average guy who may not have the power. So you still might be chasing something as you take as you, if you take Schwarber, you're chasing power, but you might all of a sudden after that be chasing batting average. And then you're just spending your whole draft chasing, in other words. So, yeah. All right. Uh, there's a 20 pick jump to the next outfielder group. And then we got tw- outfielders 22 through 24 here. And that would be Lane Thomas, Seiya Suzuki, and Nick Castellanos. All of them with ADPs at 114 within one pick of each other, just off of decimals. How would you rank these three in terms of preference? Uh, I would go Seiya Suzuki. Castellanos and Lane Thomas. Say is a clear one for me. I actually think I'd go Lane Thomas two and Casty three on me, but I think those two are pretty close. So yeah, why don't you talk? Want actually, I'll go first since yeah. Go ahead. With Saya, everything looks great for that guy. Barrels, hard hit, extra base hits, exit velocity, controls the strike zone, takes walks safe pick here who might have a little more upside and juice and than what he provided last year too. And then with Lane Thomas and Casty, I can see an argument for either. Neither walked a lot last year. And by the way, Lane Thomas, another ex Cardinal outfielder on this list in the top 25, <laughs> <laughs> 22 outfielders in, and we got a Rosa Reina, Adolis Garcia and Lane Thomas. That's a full outfield of ex Cardinals. <laughs> Yeah, um, and we haven't and we haven't set a cardinal outfielder yet. Yeah, I I think I need to take a moment and go throw myself out of a window right now. <laughs> Anyways, um, Lane offers more speed. He's a few years younger. He just doesn't have the track record Casty has, but he also is a few years younger. And I worry about hitters that don't walk much when they're in their thirties. Castellanos is thirty one now. I, I that's why, but honestly, I could I could see either one of those guys going wrong. To be honest, I, I like if you were to tell me who's one where something can fall or where they could fall apart. Either one of these two feel like it. 
Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not likely to uh I'm not likely to get Castellanos or Lane Thomas too much, I don't think. Um with say a again, back to the balance thing, but I, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but I, I really like guys that are gonna help across the board and won't kill me anywhere. You know, like I said, Rosarena is like that. Reynolds, I feel like say is like that. So and also give me like some stolen base potential where I'm not having to draft. I, I don't want to, I want to cut the rabbits out. Like I don't want to take the guys that only give me steals and don't have any power. And then I'd prefer to not have to take, I mean, you're going to take a couple mashers that don't really run. I mean, that's, that's common on any team, but I don't want to have too many of those either. I like to have the guys that like say, I feel like he can give you 20 homers, maybe, maybe a couple more around 10 steals, maybe a couple more, um, solid strikeout to walk steady hitter, like just a guy that gives you those across the board numbers, you know? And then the reason I like to build that way is because if you have a guy go out, you're not deficient in like any one specific category. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if you have Kyle Schwarber go out and that's your main source of power, guess what? you're in trouble in power unless you really got like guys all over the place that are, you know, if it's just, it's the, like I said, it's a team build thing. It just keeps going back to that. But say, I feel like is easy to build around. What well, before uh, you go, I'm sitting here smiling because you were talking about how he's solid across the board. And when you finished, I was going to say, you know, the really nice part about having all these Brian Reynolds and say Suzuki's is if they get hurt, you're not sitting here chasing cat. You literally yeah. said exactly what I was going to say. And I don't know if yeah. you and I have ever talked about it like that, but I was yeah. going to chip in the exact same way. If you draft a rabbit or you draft a power guy, you're just, you're chit. You're, you're all of a sudden in a big hole. Right. Right. And you, and you kind of have to, it's like, it's hard to think about it that way on draft day, but I'm always trying to think of those things because we all know when we get into the season, those things all happen. And you have to adjust and, you know, pick up guys if you can, put guys into your lineup where you can. And if it's not – if it's a guy that's helping you across the board, well, you just fill in as best as you can for it. But if he has one specific strength and you can't fill in for that, then you're you're losing out a ton on that. So just, just things to think about with, like I said, with team building stuff. Um, Castellanos, I, I will say – 11 steals career high. And if, if the new rules thing, like if, if any of that sticks, even if it's like eight, um, I think he's a decent enough hitter. Like to where, if you wanted to tell me, I don't want to take Brian Reynolds. Cause I could just take Castellanos a couple rounds later. I can kind of get behind that. So I don't hate him. It's just not usually my guy. Um, and then Lane Thomas, oh man, I, I definitely – I could see myself drafting Castellanos if the board fell right. I can't see myself drafting Lane Thomas. Uh, Steamer has him as the 30th best outfielder. Bad X has him as the 41st best outfielder. He's being drafted 23rd. The team is bad. The, the breakout was out of nowhere. It's not fully supported. As good as he was, his batted ball data, hard hit, still all like around league average. I mean, just nothing special there. Like I said, bad team. I fully expect him a lot like Josh Lowe to 
not have as good of a season this year. And that is baked some into the price, but um, yeah, I just I I can't I can't draft Lane Thomas here. I just can't do it. I took him in the very first draft in the Roto Masters draft and hold, and I pretty much came on here and said I hated my team. <laughs> was it? It was after this, probably though, right? It was after what? Well, this this ADP. Uh, give me a second here, and I could probably look it up. I don't 114, know. Well, one fourteen is like round eight. I don't know where you took him. I don't remember. I wanted to say it was later than that, but maybe not. Let's see here. Lane Thomas pulled him up. Transactions fantasy. This is always great. Round nine, pick four. So it was a little later, but not a little. One twenty-four. Yeah, like ten picks later. Yeah, the, I I hated. Well, the other thing, the other thing too, is in fairness to you, we all do more research as the off season goes along, you know. And that was an early draft. I mean. I could look back on my first draft of the offseason and be like, yeah, I wouldn't do that again. You yeah. know, but you just pick up on things and develop your opinions get stronger as as the offseason goes on. So, yep. that's a lot of why I do these is so I'm ready for the ones in March, you know. It's... Yep. Okay. Uh 25 through 28 here, we got Spencer Steer as the 25th outfielder. First base, third base, and outfield eligible. He's at 117 overall. We've already covered him on the first base podcast, so I'm moving on to the next three guys here who are within four picks of each other. We got George Springer at 122. We got Jordan Walker at 124. And Estuary Ruiz at 125. Andrew, um, remember the old story of the three little bears? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, but things I didn't put in the notes to prepare you for right there. If you want to tell it to me, I'm ready. So, okay. Goldilocks goes into the home. I I know where this is going. And one of the cups of porridge was too hot. One was too cold and one was just right. And that is definitely how I feel about these three guys. One of them I really (laughs) like. One of them I think is just fine. And one of them I absolutely hate, the ADP. And I think you probably know which ones are which. But So why don't you talk about the three first, and then I'll, I'll come back. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah, same, the exact order. Yeah, I'm, I'm in step with you here. Uh, Springer first. Ooh, I, I, I love Springer. If I was ranking my favorite players in baseball, he'd be high on the list. Um, I don't factor that in much when I'm drafting, but uh, every time I see his name, I think of it. I am a little down on him, but I still like him at this price. Uh, and it's most it's mostly just due to – I just – like if you could just tell me how many games he's going to play. And he played a lot last year, but he's always nicked up. And I just worry a little bit. He's he's 34 now. I mean, he's get he's getting older. And I feel like a big part of Springer this season is going to be how much they can take it easy on him by DHing him. I don't think they're gonna do it a ton necessarily. Last year, 130 games in the outfield, 21 at DH. But if that 21 at DH could go to like 40 or 50 or six, you know, just more, I, I, he needs the volume. Like his value is being at the top of the lineup every day for the Jays, strong K to walk, 
but it really does hinge on his health and just being at the top of that lineup every single day. And if he does that, like for at least most of the season, he's going to return value here. It's going to be good. There's no doubt about it. I'm not even, I'm not even really worried about that. I mean, there's maybe a few little things you can nitpick with him, but I mostly just want to know he can stay on the field. So that's, uh, that's my main thing with Springer. What do you, what do you have to say about him? And then we go to Walker and yeah, Ruiz. he's actually the one I really like, you know, Yes, he does get dinged up a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, if you like 2020 was the injury shortened season, but three of the last four years, he's played, um, you know, a pretty good portion of the year. He was dinged up on and off with 2022. And I think there were people that like, if you had him that year, you had some frustrations. He missed half the season in 21. That was a year where he missed a chunk, but you know, he was running more with the new rules and had a career year in steals with that. And, you know, his barrels and stuff, like the underlying data is starting to slip a little when you look. It's not like major drops yet, but there are little, like you can see little yeah. warning flags coming. But I think he can still come close to a 2020 season again this year if, with health. And if he's close to that, hitting the top of that lineup, yeah, I actually really like Springer. He was actually the love for me. And Walker's the just. Oh, he's. Oh, Springer's definitely the love for me at this. Okay, I didn't. The way you said that, I actually thought you were meaning he was fine, and you were going to go into the next one as the love. No, I just more meant like in previous years he was an absolute smash for me every time in the spot. So and now Ruiz is not your love. (laughs) (laughs) So and now I'm just I'm just a little bit like, like I, I don't know if um. I, I still would do it. I still would do it. Okay. But I'm not quite as into it as I was in the past. So then I guess Jordan Walker's the just right one here. Huh? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start first since he's a Cardinal. You know, there's a world of crazy upside where he can be a huge win for players who draft him at 124 overall. But he's got to make changes to a swing. His swing. He's a guy who I think my opinion on could swing early in the early part of spring training. If he still has that flat swing or like I'm probably not too interested at this price. I mean, he'd be, he's fine, but I, I'm probably just going to move on. But if he shows up to camp and I'm hearing reports coming out that his swing looks different, it looks like more elevated. I'll jump on it. It's, you know, Matt Thompson with prospects live. He's the one last year who at the very beginning of spring training, he, he was like Nolan Gorman's swing looks retooled. It looks different. And I got in and, you know, he ended up having a a ton of power in the early going of the year before the injury. And if I hear that about Jordan Walker, I'll jump in hard, quick. But right now, I think he's kind of just an okay for me. Yeah, real quick with Walker, and then we'll get to our favorite player. Um, With Walker, I I just feel like I don't know what I'm drafting. And I've kind of said, I've kind of said before, I don't, when I don't know what I'm drafting, I, I get a little uncomfortable. I I feel like he could really break out. Like he's definitely talented enough. Projections have him anywhere from like 15 to 28 homers. I mean, that's just that's such a wide 28? range. Yeah. Wow. Zips has him at 28. Yeah, yeah. It's actually funny if you go on his page. Yeah, I'm looking. And you now. just look at the different projections. It's they're just all over the place. And I guess that's. 
it's probably just not the guy that I'm taking. Like I'll take volatile guys, but he's just not my guy for that. I don't think. Um, but I could definitely see it paying off too. I definitely can. So, and yeah, I, I could see jumping in if you hear about a swing change or something like that too. I'm, I'm mostly with you on that. I, I just kind of wonder a little bit, like, I don't feel certain where the power is going to be. I definitely think he has power, but how it'll exactly translate to homers. I don't, you know, steals wise, I'm not really sure. And then I feel like he could hit third in the lineup or eighth. Like it's just, it probably depends on how hot he is and, you know, it's just, it, there's a lot of outcomes there, I feel like, with him. And if steady Brian Reynolds and um, George Springer and who was the other one that we talked about that's just st- Christian Yelich, those steady guys. Uh, Say Suzuki. Say Suzuki. If those are your guys, Asturi Ruiz is not your guy. <laughs> <laughs> guy does one thing incredibly well and nothing else even okay. Uh, 132 games played. 67 steals that's just nuts but 47 runs 47 rbi five homer 254 batting average i don't think there's any scenario where i'd be drafting this guy this year i don't care if i've if i feel like i'm way behind in steals i'm just not doing it adp 125 i don't think i'd even consider him to at least double that adp at minimum like just think I I started I was looking just scrolling down wondering how far he'd have to go before I'd actually consider him and I think it, it like almost double. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where I would, but it it wouldn't be here, that's for sure. Um Yeah, the big the big thing here is if you are drafting a balanced team, which should always be your goal early you get to this point you don't need a guy that's going to hit four or five home runs and steal 60 bases because you've already got your stolen bases and if your draft plan is to take Estuary Ruiz here I'm not saying you can't build a team and win with him but if your plan is to take him here and you miss what are you going to do because there's your strategy is just totaled if you don't get him here. There's no pivot. Like there's so many of these other guys. Like if I don't get Brian Reynolds, I could take Nick Castellanos or I could take Seiya Suzuki or I could take George Springer. They all have like similar type of game, you know. But if like you're not getting Esther Ruiz, there's nobody – you could scroll down forever. And there's not like a – like what are you going to do for stolen bases? And that's – that's essentially it's essentially like saying I've screwed up, I have no steals, I'm panicking, and this is what I'm doing. You know, if you've got a ton of power. I did hear somebody mention, I thought this was a pretty decent point, that if you were in an auction and you threw him out early and you got him, you at least know you can build hmm. a team around him. It's different than in a draft where, you know, you're He's essentially going in round nine, um, and you can't really know until you get to that point, unless you're going to take him even earlier. Which, yeah, it's just it's just not for me, and I know it's not for you. It's just there's too many things. He gets hurt. That's the other thing. Not only drafting or missing him in a draft, but if he gets hurt, then what? 
you know, and you're you're really likely to end up with just too many steals in the end. If that's because I remember having him on a team last year where I got so far ahead in steals. I was like thinking about dropping him. And then I was like, no, or I forget if it was a league with fab or a draft and hold, but either benching him or dropping him. And then it was like, that helps me in the overall. I don't know. It's just, it gets, you get to July and August, you don't even need him, you know, because you're that far ahead in it, but that's if he's healthy. And if your team's constructed the right way, no power, horrible lineup. Yeah. It's not for me. And when you were sitting there way ahead in steals, you were also pretty good in other counting stats because you didn't also invest in Yuri no. Esther Ruiz as like a 125 overall. You got him near the end of your draft, or you even picked him up in Fab. I can't remember in your main event which one you did. but No, I, I didn't have him in my main. It was a oh, different okay. league. But, yeah, I don't actually remember if it was uh, if it was a Fab league or a draft and hold. So I, But I got him, whatever it was, it was like round 30 or something. It was a cheap you know, investment. I think I, yeah, I think I had him in like one league. And I, I didn't mind it too much then, you know. But here it's just like, you know, there, there's guys going right after this that tons of power, you know. And it's just like uh, you just put yourself so far behind when you're taking a guy that can hit two home runs. It's just it's rough. All right, that's 28 outfielders, and that's where we're going to cut it off for today. Andrew and I will be back next week at some point, and we will do probably two more episodes over the rest of these outfielders. We'll start at number 29 and go for a little while, and then we'll probably put out a third episode a couple days later. That will be the rest of the outfielders. Thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a great weekend or week or when, if, if you've listened to this a couple days afterwards. Regardless, take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 